The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Some of you may remember that I began this psalm uh, last August and preached a message on the first six verses, and then I preached a message on the last verses, and now uh, four months later we'll finish the psalm. It relates to last week's message. Remember last week's point was this. I urged upon you the word of the Lord from Luke 11 to the effect that we should prevail in prayer. Not grow weary. Prevail in prayer, especially prayer for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in His fullness and in His power. But dead people don't prevail in prayer. Foolish people don't prevail in prayer for the right things. And miserable people don't prevail in prayer in the right way. And therefore, if we are to prevail in prayer, we need life, we need wisdom, and we need joy, which are the opposite of death and foolishness and miserableness. And therefore, if we could find a source for life and a source for wisdom and a source for joy, we might prevail in prayer all year long. And this text is all about that source. The Bible. And I want with all my heart to so speak in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning that the simple effect of what I say is that you might meditate on the law of the Lord day and night this year. Let me just ask the Lord to come and help me do that. Lord, there is something deeply deeply distressing about how prone we are to read other things and watch the television than we are to read the Bible. We all have exactly the same number of hours in the day and every choice we make is a matter of priority. I pray, O God, that what I say here will free and empower people, will create desire rather than simply a sense of duty. Create irresistible desire in your people's heart that we might benefit from your word and prevail in prayer. In Jesus' name I ask it now. Amen. Well, the first thing to notice in this text is that the scriptures are the word of the Lord. The scriptures are the word of the Lord. Therefore, they have better effects on us than anything else we could read or watch. Look at the sixfold repetition of the phrase of the Lord. Verse 7, law of the Lord. 
Testimony of the Lord. Verse 8. Precepts of the Lord. Commandment of the Lord. Verse 9. Fear of the Lord. Precepts of the Lord. Six times in this passage he says, I'm talking about that which is of the Lord. Yahweh, the God who made all things, who said, I am who I am and there is no other. Who understands all things, all galaxies and all subatomic energy and all that we are and all our surroundings and all that the future will hold. This God who knows all, holds all, made all, spoke. It's His Word, His law, His testimony. His precepts. You know, I thought as I was preaching the first hour, testimony. What a great thing to think about. Tonight, I'm going to ask you to bear testimony to God. Where does God bear testimony to God? Does it right here. This is God's testimony, a personal testimony to God from God. Now, this teaching that the scriptures are of God is not, of course, unique to the Old Testament. Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired, what are the next two words? By God. Inspired by God and are profitable. That's what this text is about this morning. The prophet of the Bible. Peter, 2 Peter 1.20. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. There it is again. When the Scriptures were written, it was because men spoke from God. Jesus, John 10.35, said... The word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. That was the word of our Lord Jesus who said that. The scriptures are the word of God. They cannot be broken. And so the first point in the the sixfold repetition of the phrase of the Lord is that the scriptures are the word of God and therefore have a better effect on us than anything else. Newspapers, magazines, novels, books on psychology, books on theology, television, radio, nothing can have as good effect upon you as the Word of God can. As immersing yourself in the Bible can have upon you. Why? Because all of those things are the Word of man And only the Bible is the word of God. God understands you. Nobody understands you better than God. Nobody knows your body, your personality, your mind like God knows it. Nobody knows why you've got to be the way you are with all of your struggles and all of your joys like God knows. Nobody knows how society works and human groups interact like God knows. Nobody is wiser than God. Nobody understands the workings of the universe like God understands what he made. Nobody has more counseling ability than God has. Nobody is happier than God. Nobody is more creative in their expression than God. 
Why would anybody choose to read what anybody else wrote more than what God wrote? It is a strange thing, is it not? It is a strange sickness in us that we are so prone to depart from the word of the living God. It is a craziness. It is suicidal. Because there are such awesome benefits in knowing the Word of God, in immersing your mind in the Word of God. So what I want to do is take these benefits and unfold them for you in the few minutes that we have. What I see now, having made the first point, which was that the Scriptures are the Word of God, my second point is that there are wonderful effects that come from meditating on the Word of God day and night. The text has a general statement about these benefits, and the text has several specific statements. Let me take the general statement first. It's found in verse 10, and then in verse 11 again. The first part of verse 10 says that the words of God are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. And then notice at the end of verse 11, in keeping them, Follows as the night, the day, that if they are better than gold, this would be true. In keeping them, there is great reward. So if you have a choice between gold and the word of God, choose the word of God. If you have a choice between much gold and the word of God, choose the word of God. Or if you have a choice between much fine gold and the word of God, choose The word of God. It's so plain that the value of the word of God for our lives, the benefits that come from knowing and doing the word of God are better than anything money can buy. So if you are tempted to read the stock page of the newspaper before you read the Bible, tell yourself This is not shrewd. This is like a little child who, when offered a dime or a penny, chooses the penny because it's bigger. And the parents look on and they say, we must help this child learn what is valuable. And I think the angels look down on businessmen and women and others and watch them. Choosing gold instead of God and choosing the stock page instead of Romans. And they shake their head and they say, these people have some learning to do about what is valuable. They're just like little children. Little children who haven't come into reality yet when they choose the stock page before the Bible. So the the general statement is that the Bible is more valuable than gold, yea, much fine gold, and that in keeping it there is great reward. Now, what is this reward? Let's go to the, the specific benefits. There are three of them, because I'm grouping some together here. There are three great benefits. Life, wisdom, and happiness come from the Bible. Life, wisdom, and happiness. Let's take them one at a time. First of all, the benefit of life, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Or another good translation would be restoring the life. Life is either non-existent or is in jeopardy and needs to be brought back. It needs to be saved. It needs to be rekindled and blown 
into life again. Now, you remember what Jesus said about this? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Now, let's read that again and stick in the verb in second clause so that we don't assume it and miss it. Let's do it again. Man shall not live by bread alone, but shall what? Live by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And there he was, fighting the devil. His life was at stake. His spiritual life was at stake. And yours is at stake. And he told us how to stay alive. The word keeps people alive. If you abandon the word, you will begin to die. And you know the most subtle and devious thing about this dying? Its primary symptom is the denial that it is happening. It makes it almost impossible to save people from it when it starts to happen, which is what I'm trying to do this morning. When you start abandoning the Word of God and life begins to go out of you, the primary symptom of the loss of spiritual life is the denial that anything is wrong. It's life that can recognize need. If a person is broken and longing to read the Bible, they're alive. If a person thinks they don't need the Bible, if the person goes through their day never gives a thought to the Bible, oh, are they too far gone? So many stories we could tell. Paitun Hatamart, who served with us here for five years among the Lao people, told us the story of his conversion when he was here as a student Buddhist at the university. And how one day... Someone shared with him Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And he said, God in that instant saved him with that word of the living God. St. Augustine told the story about how in a garden in Milan, Romans 13, 13, make no provision for the flesh, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, saved him. Saved him. The word saved him. Martin Luther told the story about how Romans 1.16 saved him. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed to everyone who believes. It saved him. In my uh, book, Desiring God, I tell the story of Tokiichi Ichi, the murderer who was executed in 1918. In Japan, two American uh, missionary women who got into the prison and spoke to him the word of God and gave him a copy of the gospel of Luke. And a few days before he was to be executed, he read the last hours of Jesus' life, namely these words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he wrote, I was stabbed to the heart as if by a five-inch nail. And he was saved. Offered himself up as a sacrifice to the Lord. Went ahead and was executed as a believing person and went to heaven just like the thief on the cross. And Jonathan Edwards told the story about how he was walking in the woods 
one day as a very young man, having known all kinds of theology from the time he was a boy, but never having been alive in his spirit to God. And 1 Timothy 1.17. And now to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and majesty forever. Amen. That text struck him like a five-inch nail, and he wept for an hour and was alive again. Our life begins with the Word of God, and we stay alive by the Word of God. And we are crazy and suicidal to choose anything but the Word of God. I thought of my the last days of my own life. Can you imagine... Someone dying, lying on a hospital bed, just barely able to talk, and their family gathered around them saying, Oh, read to me. Read to me from my checkbook. Tell me, please, how much, how much is still there. Read to me from my portfolio and how good it is. Can you imagine that? But I can imagine real easily saying, Karsten, read me Psalm 23. Noel, read me Romans 8. Benjamin, read to me Psalm 46. Don't let me die without the Word of God. Because there is no life without the Word of God. We won't get through the hour of our trial If Jesus couldn't, we can't. That's benefit number one, life. Number two, wisdom. Verse seven, second half of the verse. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Second half of verse eight. I'm going to group these two together. The commandment of the Lord is pure and lightening. The eyes. I think those are saying almost the same thing. Making wise the simple, enlightening the eyes. Now, what is a wise person? What is wisdom? Here's my effort at a definition. A wise person is a person whose life makes sense in the light of reality. A wise person is a person whose life makes sense in the light of reality. For example, self-denial is foolish and laying up for yourselves treasures on earth is wise. If you live in the darkness and do not know the reality of heaven, the reality of the danger of riches, and the reality of the rewards of sacrifice. If you do not know these things, if you are blind, if you live in the dark, you will consider self-denial foolish and laying up for yourselves treasures wise. Yesterday, or was it Friday, Quentin Reese came by the house. Now, Quentin and Debbie will be commissioned tonight and they are going to Mozambique. 
Now, nobody in his right mind goes to Mozambique, all right? Lowest standard of living in the world. Nobody goes to Mozambique. You only go to Fort Lauderdale. He said, my friends that I've been working with, look at me like this. You're going? You're really going? Because he's leaving in a week. And the reality of it is starting to hit. You're really going? You're leaving? Now, what, what is this? You know what it is? It's darkness. People live in darkness because they don't know reality. And where are you going to get light? Where does light come from in a world like ours? It comes from the Bible. This is light. All over Minneapolis, there are pulpits outside churches in the secular world preaching darkness as light. Dazzling, dizzying darkness. How so? God is the essential reality. I wonder, could we get agreement on that? God is the essential reality in and around the universe. Therefore, everything disconnected from God is unreal in that for which it exists. Did you get that? Everything disconnected from God is unreal in its purpose in that for which it exists. Therefore, almost everything in America is unreal. Do you feel that? If you don't realize that, you are in great danger of being deceived. Dazzling, dizzying, deadening darkness. Unreality separated from God. If all the things that we look out there, that great skyline and all that transpires in those buildings, that great educational institution and all that happens in those classrooms, if all of that could be brought into connection to God, refined by God, shaped by God, guided by God, then it would become real. But as it stands, the television the radio, the magazines, the newspaper, the business world, the arts world, the educational world is almost entirely in America, in America, in a dream world of darkness. Because there is no God. He is ignored. He is blackballed out of existence. And almost nobody today defines reality. As God and that which relates to God. And so I just plead with you. Be wise. Be wise. Come out from the kingdom of darkness into the broad, bright, beautiful light of wisdom. Because when you choose God's way, whether it is self-denial in any radical form that could cost you your life, or whether it is a more modified form of self-denial 
It will be wise if it is in the light of reality. That's the second benefit, wisdom. Finally, in just a word, the benefit of joy. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Oh, memorize that simple sentence. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And every time you are inclined to get joy somewhere else and neglect the Bible, remind yourself that you're calling God a liar. Don't do that. The precepts of of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. They make the heart joyful. And then here's my favorite image, and I close with this one. Verse 10 at the end. The ordinances of the Lord are sweeter than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Where did that come from? Why does he say that? I mean, isn't it a duty to read the Bible? Isn't it a spiritual discipline to read the Bible? What's this honey stuff? It's hedonism, that's what it is. Pure, out-and-out Christian hedonism. Honey. Honey. Now, what was honey in that day? Chocolate Sundays. Well, I wish I could know what everybody's favorite sweet was. Because I would just name it and look you in the eye and say, that's what the Bible is. That's the point of that text. Isn't it? That's the point. Honey. It's honey. God doesn't want you to feel burdened to read the Bible. He wants you to feel hungry for honey. He wants you to be like David, poet David, walking through the woods on a hot day with his cane. And he looks up and there is a huge bee's nest in a thicket. And he sticks his post up in there and he pulls it out and he goes, "Mm." and you know what he thinks? Bible. Bible. It's like the Bible. Oh, God, I love your word, he says. And so my prayer for you is that you would recognize that the Bible is the word of the Lord and that it therefore is more valuable than gold. Yes, much fine gold. By keeping it, there is great reward. And three of those great rewards are Life, wisdom, and the kind of joy that can only be described as eating the sweetest thing you can imagine to eat. And then we will prevail in prayer because we'll be alive. We'll prevail for the right things because we'll be wise. We will prevail in the right spirit because we will be happy in God. And he will get the glory at Bethlehem and in your life. Let's pray. May I invite you to ponder this possibility here at the end of the service. We have teams of praying people that will stand at the front. And 
I think it could be tremendously helpful for some of you who've been especially spoken to by the Lord concerning the need here. It's obvious to me by looking at you that many of you sense a great need in this area to put the Bible where it belongs in your life, put meditation where it belongs. And it's not easy to fight by yourself. And so what I've told the prayer teams is that I'm going to invite you to just uh, come to them and say, would you pray with me for a minute that God would uh, make me desire his word, that God would make this year a better year in Bible reading? And they'll just pray with you for 30 seconds or a minute. And then there would be two or three people praying and not just one. And I think the Lord would honor that venture of rededication and and prayer. So let me just close with you now. Lord, I ask that you would magnify the power of your word by causing people to desire it the way David desired honey and the way most people desire gold, money. Reorder the priorities of our lives and make us realize that life is short. That the spiritual warfare against supernatural demonic forces like Jesus dealt with in the wilderness is real. That we cannot live by bread alone. And therefore, our life hangs on our enjoyment of your honey. Give us spiritual taste buds, I pray, that are alive and wise. And all the people said, Amen.